Genesis 46 through Exodus 1 tells us how Israel, formerly called Jacob, and his kids and grandkids settled in Egypt. Each child and grandchild is carefully named, and then the total is given, 70 including the four in Egypt, Joseph, his wife, and his two sons. Israel's family, 70 in all. When he gets to Egypt, Joseph comes to meet him. What a reunion. They haven't seen each other for almost two decades. It's not just Joseph's arms that are wide open to Jacob and his family. Pharaoh opens his arms too. After all, Joseph is the local hero. The area of the Middle East is two years deep into famine. But Egypt is sitting pretty, and Pharaoh is getting rich, selling the grain stored by Joseph. Joseph instructs his family to tell Pharaoh that they're shepherds. The Egyptians are racists. They don't like people from Canaan at all. The Egyptians will soon call Jacob and Joseph's family the Hebrews, the H-word. But for now, they're Joseph's people, and that makes them a special people. Pharaoh gives them the pastoral lands of Goshen, one of the choice spots of Egypt. We fast forward 17 years and find old Jacob in a room with Joseph. Jacob knows his days are numbered. He's got a request of Joseph. More specifically, a demand. Joseph, swear to me, you'll bring me home when I die. Israel, formerly called Jacob, calls Canaan home. Though he's lived in Goshen, in Egypt for 17 years and been treated like a king, this isn't his home. The land God promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to him is home. That one day God will deliver that land to his people. Joseph and lay him beside Abraham, Sarah, and Leah, his wife. The text then tells us Israel bowed low before Joseph. Surely, Joseph remembered his dream. At this point, Jacob sees two other young lads in the room. They're Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Jacob asked Joseph to bring these lads to him so he can bless them. He puts Manasseh the older on Jacob's right and Ephraim the younger on his left. Jacob begins to bless the two boys and crisscrosses his hands. If you're a lefty, we'll see. You got no respect in the Old Testament times either. Right-handers were favored. Sorry about that, but you'll get some love going forward in the text where we meet some left-handed heroes. Joseph tries to switch Jacob's hands, but Jacob won't have any of it. He blesses both boys, but makes Ephraim the younger greater than Manasseh the older. He also adopts Joseph's two sons as his own sons. If you know the Old Testament and you're counting, this presents a bit of a problem. Jacob had 12 sons. Now in adopting Joseph's two sons, he's essentially saying, Joseph, when you die, a double portion is going to go to you. That would mean there are 13 sons. God will have a way of getting us back to the 12 tribes of Israel in a future podcast. Shortly after this time in the room with Joseph and his two boys, Jacob calls all of his boys to his bedside. He wants to say a few words to each of them in parting. He starts with his oldest son, Reuben, and reminds Reuben what he did with Billah, his handmaid wife. He defrocks Reuben, his firstborn son, from being the leader of the family. Then Simeon and Levi appear before him. His words to them are perhaps worse. He scolds them for the bloodthirsty murder of the men in the village of Shechem. He also says they kill animals for fun. Then he gets to Judah, his fourthborn. 
Judah gets the most words from his father Jacob, now called Israel. They are words of complete blessing. He's called a lion, the king of beasts. And then Jacob says something remarkable. The scepter shall not depart from you, Judah, until the one comes who will rule all nations. Let me repeat that. The scepter shall not depart from you, Judah, until the one comes who will rule all nations. I ask my students, who holds a scepter? Kings do. When you read the rest of Jacob's words over his remaining sons, you realize Jacob has just passed the blessing on to Judah, his fourthborn. Judah, the one whose idea it was to sell Joseph into slavery, the one who would not give his thirdborn to Tamar, but instead, through an act of prostitution, had twin children with his daughter-in-law widow in waiting, but also the Judah who volunteered to stand in the place of Benjamin and be a substitute before Joseph. This is another double circle, dog-ear-the-page moment in scripture. It tells us the stomper will come from Jacob through the line of Judah. But it also sounds like it tells us something more. That stomper would not only crush the head of Satan, he would rule all nations. Shortly after pronouncing words over his children, Israel, formerly called Jacob, dies. Joseph is at his bedside and closes his eyes. Israel's given the finest Egyptian embalming. The country mourns over him for days. And then we see a massive funeral procession heading from Egypt back to Canaan. It includes many of Egypt's dignitaries. When Joseph and his brothers return, the brothers are afraid. Now that dad's dead, what if Joseph takes revenge on us? This makes Joseph weep. And again, he repeats to them, what he told him in his quarters years earlier. Brothers, I know you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good, that he might send me ahead of you to save lives. Fast forward almost 80 years. Joseph is now 110, and he too is nearing death. He calls his surviving brothers to his side, and he makes them swear an oath. Swear to me you'll take me home. Egypt's been his home for a 100 years. He's the national hero. But Joseph goes all in. God has promised Abraham, then Isaac, then his father Jacob, a different home, a special land, Canaan. That's his home. He makes his brothers swear when God gives them that promised land, they will carry his bones up with them when they go. As you turn the page, you reach Exodus. Exit us. Exit us. That's what it means to go out from. The book of Exodus describes how a baby nation, Israel, leaves Egypt and heads for their own land, the promised land. Exodus 1 probably covers about 300 years. From God's perspective, that's a moment in time. But from man's perspective, that's longer than we've been a nation. Exodus 1 tells us what happened during those years. God's people, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, as the Egyptians called them, increased and flourished. They multiplied like rabbits. The minority was quickly going to become the majority. The generation that knew what Joseph had done to spare their lives died off and a new generation arose. A new pharaoh arose. And to him it was, Joe who? Something had to be done about these Hebrews. His first tactic was, work them to death. He oppressed them as slaves and forced them to build storage cities. But his tactic backfired. They'd work dawn to dusk, eat supper, and fall into bed, where they'd 
make more Hebrews. So Pharaoh went into plan B. He told the two Hebrew midwives delivering babies in Goshen, if the Hebrews give birth to a boy, kill him. But after a few years, Pharaoh noticed a whole lot of little toddler Hebrew boys running around. He called the midwives in who are named specifically in the text and asked them, why didn't you obey my order? They tell a whopper. The Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. These babies practically fall out. By the time we get there, they're practically walking. I'll see a hand raised in my class. Mr. Nelson, they're lying. They sure are. They're also saving lives. Welcome to a fallen world where you have to make difficult choices between competing values. God was not honoring their lies. He was honoring their risk-taking to save lives. That drove Pharaoh to tactic number three. He states to the general Egyptian public, when you see a little Hebrew boy, drown him in the Nile. I asked my students, why the boys? You could control the population, getting rid of girls too. The text gives us the answer. Hebrew men and women could both work hard as slaves, but the men were more likely to rise up and try overthrow the Egyptians. Get rid of the boys, work the girls, and everybody's happy. The gestation period God gave to Abraham, 400 years in Egypt, is nearing an end. It's time to have a baby nation. God just needs a midwife, someone to help deliver this baby. And he finds him, and we'll meet him in the next word picture.